if you happen to be a visitor with us today, we're really glad you're here and we want to welcome you. Uh, if you can look in the back of the chair in front of you, you might find a visitor's card and we would like you to fill that out if you, if you would and put it in the box. We're going to move the box that's for offering over there over to the exit door uh, when we leave. We've been coming in this door and leaving that door just kind of as a way to keep traffic from crisscrossing back and forth. So uh, if you would try to observe that this morning, we would really appreciate it. Okay? Uh, I'm going to read the scripture this morning. It is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father, holy and hallowed is your name. Uh, we come before you, Lord, this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We, we ask, Lord, that you would, your presence would be with us, that uh, the Holy Spirit would enliven us this morning, that uh, he would uh, give us ears to hear, uh, hearts to uh, appropriate the truth that we will hear from your word, Lord. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just give Ben the words to speak, that he would speak truth clearly, that uh, the study he has put in and the preparation he's put into the sermon, Lord, that it would uh, uh, just produce uh, fruit in our lives, Lord. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, grow each of us, convict us of sin, uh, uh, empower us to, uh, to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Thank you for this time, and Lord, we pray that it would be to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're glad y'all are here. This is um, an adventure. I, uh, it, I had a, a little correspondence with Jessica Johnson uh, um, earlier this, uh, I mean, uh, Brown, excuse me, you're not Johnson anymore. I knew that didn't sound right. <laughs> single Jason Brown is not single Jason Brown anymore. Uh, I had a conversation with her this week, and I used the term Semper Gumby, and she didn't know what that meant. She looked it up. It means always be flexible. That's a, a Marine Corps term, and uh, that just seems to be the, um, the mantra of the, the day um, with this flare-up with the coronavirus and all the crazy stuff that we're all experiencing in our world right now, uh, I think flexibility is the key, so hopefully we are all in that mindset. Um, if you ventured out this morning, we're glad you're here. I think uh, um, it says a lot about the value that you're placing on the gathering of the people of God and what this means, um, and that's not an indictment against those who might be online with us this morning. We have folks that are online with us for good reasons, and uh, and who aren't here for good reasons. So, um, man, I'm just going to, hopefully we're going to value and cherish this time that we have together, make the most of it. Uh, we're going to be equipped for something. Uh, we're not putting a check in a block this morning. 
That's not what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings, getting our church on, getting our religion on to get us kind of covered for the week. Uh, the people of God are gathering to hear from the Lord through a frail, feeble guy that sort of spent the work or spent the week working to um, excavate his word to bring a message. So hopefully we're galvanized or we're, we're steeled for that and we're going to be galvanized in the time that we spend together. So let me uh, continue in prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for the Mahar people of India, nine and a half million strong, 0.1% of which are Christian. Uh, these, this caste of people are the lowest caste of people in India. They are considered untouchable. They're so low. And how, um, how wonderful that we have a chance to lift them up this morning and know that they're not untouchable for God. That's, that's pretty cool. We can pray that God would send workers to the far corners. We can pray that God would draw them uh, to him through visions and dreams and things that would just give them an ache to know their creator. Um, we're also going to pray for another church in our community. We're praying for uh, C3 and Commerce. That's Commerce Community Church, David Ferguson and uh, his team there. Um, just lifting this up, them up this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, what a, uh, what a privilege it is to gather this morning before we even bring a request or a concern or a, a need to you, Lord. We want to acknowledge that we marvel that we can stand in your presence. Uh, first of all, that we're in your presence at all is only by the work of Christ and by our union with him by faith. And Lord, that we can stand before you is only because his work was so fine and so complete that our sins, past, present, and future are covered and forgiven, that we can stand before you not just as enemies forgiven, but as friends and family. That's a marvel. Lord, this morning, before we bring anything before you, we want to just enjoy that wonderful truth. Lord, also this morning, we do want to lift up a people group, the Mahar people of India, uh, this people that you know so well, this people that for many, many years have been considered untouchable, the lowest of the low. Lord, we are so thankful that you come for just these kind of folks, that you come for the least of these, that you come for the sick, the sinners, those who are cast out, those who are unclean. Lord, we are so thankful that this people group is not out of your reach, and that not only can you reach them, but you can touch them. Lord, we pray that you would burden men and women, young men and women, older men and women that are retired, whatever, to be too uncomfortable staying here, but that to go to the far corners of the, of the field, to the Mahar people, might be something that you're calling them to. Lord, we pray that you would couple the going and the sending with the aching and the searching and the, the uh, needing, Lord, that that would be coupled with visions and dreams of the Mahar people where people are looking for answers, trying to understand who their creator is, seeing the bankruptcy in Hindu and Buddhism, that they would find our God. Lord, we pray that you would draw them to you. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for another church in our community. We're praying for C3 and Commerce. Lord, we are so thankful for the kinship, the uh, DNA that we share. Lord, we're thankful for uh, David Ferguson and Whitney and just want to bless, just ask you to bless them and bless this church. Uh, Lord, bless our brothers and sisters who deployed from us years ago to be part of this work. Lord, bless those students that are moving through the life of the church there every three or four years. Lord, 
bless them and mobilize them and equip them to be salty, bright, and aromatic wherever they land. Lord, pray that you would bless the, uh, the pastors of C3, the deacons, uh, the families, the leadership, the staff, all of them, Lord, that you would be great in and among and through them. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Use it, Lord, equip us. Guide me to a, a mess of notes. Guide me through a mess of notes right now in front of me so that it makes sense, uh, so that it uh, speaks to hearts and minds, so that it equip the saints, uh, so that the, the Spirit can move and work in and through us. And trusting this time to you, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. have some questions for you to consider this morning before we get into our passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So if you, if you don't have your Bible open to that, you can turn to that. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 12. Some questions for you to think on as we begin the morning. Do you treat your children and youth the way you would like to have been treated as a child or youth? Do you treat your sisters and brothers, kids, and youth the way you would want to be treated? Do you treat your spouse the way you would want to be treated with respect, patience, thoughtfulness, friendliness even, helpfulness, giving time and attention where needed? Do you treat your workmates in a way that you would want to be treated with respect, with attentiveness, speaking well of them as you would hope that they would speak of you, giving them the benefit of the doubt as you would hope others would give you? Do you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ the way you would want to be treated? Do you help one another? Are you available for one another? Are you attentive and mindful of one another? I don't know that there's anybody in this room that answered yes to all of the above wholeheartedly. Hey, I got all these things covered. If you did, then maybe you just don't need to be here this morning. I'm just not sure this is for you. I think the rest of us need to be here, myself included. Man, I suspect there's not a person in this room that can't grow in each of these likely or some of these areas likely each of these this sermon I think is for all of us and I hope and pray and believe that it's going to equip us to walk better as the people of God y'all stand and I'll read our word from Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets let's pray Lord, speak to us from this passage. Equip us to walk faithfully as followers of your beloved Son. We're entrusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage we just considered and just read is called the Golden Rule. I'd like to think that it comes from some special ancient reference within the church, but it actually comes from an emperor who wasn't even a follower of Christ. A couple hundred years after uh, Christ, his name was Alex Alexander Severus. 
He had Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, inscribed on the wall of his throne room in gold. And that's why it was called from that point on the golden rule. Something I'd like for you to think on this morning is I want you to ask, ask you to consider that this passage is more than a rule. This passage is what I think is shared here in the context of what's shared in the Sermon on the Mount. It's more of a vision for who the people of God can and should be. So we might call it this morning, the title of the sermon is called The Golden Vision. What I'm hoping for in these next few minutes is a very uncomplicated exposition of this vision, coupled with a shared, over the course of time that we spend together, a shared deep burden that we would be this people. That's what I'm hoping for and praying for. Let me kind of give you a plan for the morning. It's a short passage, uh, but we're going to spend the morning excavating or exposing the passage in three parts. First, we're going to deal with the word so. Then we're going to deal with sort of the meat of the verse, what I'm going to call the wishful treatment section. And then we're going to deal with this little bit at the end that refers to the law and the prophets. Okay, so that's sort of the guide little audible map there that you can know what to expect. Let's deal first of all with the word so. In the original language in the Greek, there's actually two words there. And the two words are panta un. Panta means all. Okay. Un means so or therefore. So is a good word that's translated here. But the word that's missing here in our English translation is the word all. Okay. The reason is because it's speaking to more than just the previous passage. Usually, if you see the word therefore in a passage, you're going to look to the passage right above it. And that would make a lot of sense here. You might look right above it and look at the passage, um, the the considerations that that we've considered these last couple of Sundays and think that they would connect. But the word all guides us back further than that. It's more encompassing than just the previous passages. And in fact, it reaches all the way back to chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. So I'd like for you to look there, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17. And I'm going to read this passage because it's in a bookend. Okay, and I want to point out to you why it's a bookend. You're going to see some words that are familiar that are used over there in verse 12 as well regarding the law and the prophets. So this is the first bookend with some content in the middle that we've been considering these last few months. And then this morning we're considering the last bookend. And we're going to try and figure out how these things come together and why that panta or all might be what that might be speaking to. So looking at verse 17 of chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, there's that first bookend. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this verse over here in chapter 7, verse 12, is a summary of all that's taken place from what I just read all the way up to chapter 7, verse 12. It's one summary verse of a lot of text and a lot of weeks, if you look back on the number of sermons that we've had in that, in that section. 
It is, a, is an important summary that connects all the way back to chapter 5, verse 17, where the law and prophets are referenced, and to that paragraph where you have to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And here's what's that, what that's going to look like, dealing with anger and divorce and lust and all the things that he delineates since chapter 5, verse 17. So just look at these as bookends, chapter 5, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And maybe a best, the, way, the best way to render chapter 7, verse 12 might be like this. Therefore, in everything, in situations involving when you're angry with your brother, in situations involving lust, in situations involving divorce, involving oaths, involving retaliation. All I've done is mention every heading since chapter 5, verse 17. In those situations, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It is a beautiful summary verse of all of those passages. Panta un. So whatever in everything... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Okay, now let's deal with the wishful treatment section. This is the meat of the verse. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I've called this the wishful treatment uh, section, but I'm going to rename it here in a moment because I want to read some parallels. This isn't the only passage in our Bible that sort of has language that looks and sounds like this. Here's some references for you. You can turn if you'd like or you can just listen. James chapter 2, verse 8 is the first of four that I want to share with you. James chapter 2, verse 8, a passage shared in the book of James from the brother of Jesus, James. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let me kind of help you connect those passages. Do to your neighbor as you'd have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a parallel teaching from James. Okay, here's the next one. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. Do to your neighbor as you would have them do to you. Same type of language. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Same concept that's presented in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, in the golden vision. The next one's in chapter 5, of verse 14 of Galatians. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is yet again. Do to your neighbor as you'd have them do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the last one here in Matthew chapter 22 is a, later on in the same book of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command is the law, in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. And the law and the prophets depend on these two 
commands. The thing I wanted you to see in reading those parallel passages is sort of this formulaic treatment of the golden vision. This formulaic treatment that sounds something like this. Treat your neighbor as yourself and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are synonyms. Those phrases mean the same thing. So we take that wishful treatment section of that golden vision and we could rename it the loving treatment section. The wishful treatment and the loving treatment section. Now let's deal with this law and the prophets bit. We're making our way through this passage pretty quickly, aren't we? Okay, the law and prophets bit. Now this is, this is uh, something that's, that's important, I think. This is going to bring out the simple beauty in this one statement, this golden vision in chapter 7, verse 12. I think it's going to show us that this is a profoundly important passage. I was thinking about an illustration that might help with this. Uh, when the coronavirus hit, um, man, we had a real shuffle in our home. Luke and Becca came home from school in um, Arkansas. Evan came home. Um, we were this close to being empty nesters. I mean, Daniel was the only one home, you know, and we were this close, and we were starting to get a taste of it, and it was good. It's like, ooh, I like this. I mean, we love our kids, but bye, you know. It's not like that, really. Uh, so they came home when the coronavirus hit, and they're in home. And I, I, I'm pretty convinced that it, it, they were probably in our kitchen about 80% of the time. In my kitchen, Okay. This kitchen where I've enjoyed space where I could make a meal or a snack or whatever. They're all in there all at once. It's like a, a square dance in there just all the time. It, it was really unnerving. Okay, so I, uh, these are rules that I'm sharing with you that I would have made up, that I actually didn't make up, that actually would have been nice maybe. Um, I want you to just consider these maybe in your home, your own home, maybe these rules would be helpful. Clean up after yourself after every meal and snack. Okay, that's... I mean, right, that's not hard, okay? Here's another one. Load the dishwasher um, correctly, <laughs> okay? Bowls go on the outside, smaller plates in the center, larger plates on the outside. Mugs go on the far side, big glasses go on the closer side. Utensils go up with my forks up, of all things. Lord have mercy, Right? And no sharp knives in the dishwasher. So load the dishwasher correctly and start it if it's full. It's not rocket science or surgery. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Okay. Now, again, these aren't personal. I haven't really lived these. I'm just making these up. Wipe the counter when you're done, right? If you don't, it looks like the roaches are running around in dune buggies. It's terrible. It's terrible. Ants that we have come in, they don't have anything to eat if the, if the counter's wiped. So it's self-protecting. Again, this has nothing to do with us. I'm just imagining what this might be like. Rinse the sink out afterward. All that stuff, gradu is what my dad, veterinarian, has called this un, unidentified substance. The gradu in the sink, wash that stuff down. It's nasty, right? These rules are pretty satisfying, aren't they? I mean... Is anybody else like, yeah, that's a pretty good rule. We're good. I've got more. Empty the trash if it's topped off. Okay, just, you don't need to be told to do that. It's not hard. 
You know where everything is. If you spilled something, sweep it up. Right? Cereal that you crunch underfoot, you know? Like, what in the world? I mean, just sweep it up, right? Okay, this has something to do with it. This is coming back to the sermon. I promise this isn't just like a speech about our kitchen. Okay. If you use the last paper towel, recharge the dispenser. Amen? For real. We know where they are, the replacements are. Just do it. If you smear peanut butter or hummus or mustard or ketchup or whatever that unidentifiable substance might be on the pantry, wipe it off. Lupe told us last week, it's funny, she said a pantry is what, uh, what white people call a closet for food. <laughs> so if you wipe some unidentifiable substance on the pantry, wipe it off. Put the tall stuff in the bottom of the fridge. For goodness sake, why would you put little short things in the bottom of the fridge when you got all that space where all that tall stuff needs to go? Put the short things in the top part of the fridge right don't leave the light on in the kitchen after you're done because i can hear it like money that's money burning in there son <laughs> again these conversations never take place in our home kitchen hours are between 7 and 8 30 a.m 10 45 a.m and 12 30 p.m get in get out 4.45 to 6.30 p.m. is dinner, and you get a 30-minute window from 8.15 to 8.45 in the evening for a snack. Man, these rules would be seriously satisfying. Now, I didn't make these rules. In case you're wondering, man, their home sounds like a mess. I, did, I thought all these rules, but we didn't make them. Okay, we didn't make these rules. More rules deal with specific circumstances and special occasions and can make you feel like you've really accomplished something. I'm imagining if we'd written these rules out on a piece of paper, you know, you're going to do it in handwriting too. You're not going to type these rules out. And the handwriting is going to look kind of scrawled because you're a little bit frustrated when you're writing it. That would have been really satisfying to write out all these rules. And then it might even be, feel good if you actually accomplished all of them. If you followed those rules over the course of the day, you might feel really good about yourself, like you're really contributing to the home expectations. Pages of them might be super satisfying. They might cover every possible circumstance, but yet in all the pages and in all the lists and in all the scenarios that you might cover, you might miss what it means to just be compassionate and thoughtful and considerate and to empathize with the next person that's walking into the kitchen. You might actually miss love. In all those rules, you might miss love. Wouldn't it be nice if there were a guiding principle that might get at the essence of a collection of rules that might miss? That might get at the essence of the point of the rules but in and of themselves, they might miss. And that essence might bind you to the whole point, loving and being a family together. I thought about, I should bring full circle what might be a guiding principle for the kitchen scenario. Love the members of your family by leaving the kitchen in the way that Ben would want it found. It's pretty good. I mean, that you would want it found. Excuse me, I meant to say that in the first place. A guiding principle that says, man, I want to leave this place in a way that the next person would find it 
and be blessed. I want to show you how this plays out in the Sermon on the Mount, how this sort of principle, this essence that guides something is better than the rules. Let me show you how this might play out in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, in this first example that he deals with, dealing with anger. We'll see how that essence might condition this matter of the law in regards to murder. Beginning in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I take you to the essence. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell fire. See, it's possible to keep from murdering someone. It's possible to follow the rules, but still treat someone in a way that's unloving. And the essence can take you to what that means, to treat them lovingly. To treat them in a way that you'd want to be treated means more than just not murdering them. Right? It means something beyond that. It means what the next verse points us to. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Seek them out and reconcile. See, the essence takes you beyond the law, doesn't it? The essence takes you beyond the rules so that you don't miss Love, that wishful treatment, that loving treatment conditions it in a way that brings a whole new, richer, deeper meaning for a follower of Christ and a way to move. Here's an example in the next little section dealing with lust. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's possible to not break the law of committing adultery and yet break the spirit of the law by entertaining thoughts that are not just about you and that computer screen. Entertaining thoughts that not only are damaging you, but damaging the former or the future relationship you will have with a wife or a husband, are damaging the current relationship that you're having with a spouse, are damaging the way you treat people of the opposite sex. Man, the essence brings a whole new, deeper, richer, broader meaning. People of God, it is frightening how easily we might just make an effort to just obey the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law. This essence, this golden vision is a beautiful, beautiful essence of the law. There were some contemporaries of Jesus. There was a a school of Hillel. The school of Hillel is the school that Gamaliel studied under. And if you know that name, you recognize that name. That's the school that Paul studied under. So these guys, Hillel is a contemporary of Jesus. And Hillel, like all the other religions, this would be the Jewish faith, like all the other religions, has some version of the golden rule. Here's the Jewish version of the golden rule. I want you to listen closely to it. Hillel taught... What is hateful to you, actually he had a Gentile stand before him and said, with me standing on one foot, tell me the essence of the law and prophets. In other words, give me a succinct summary of it right now. So this was Hillel's response. 
What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. Sounds similar, doesn't it? But it's not quite the same. Not by a mile. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. So in essence, if we were to take that version, the Hallel version of this golden vision, and apply it to murder and anger, it would say, you don't want to be murdered, so don't murder someone else. It's a low bar, right? You don't want to be murdered, so don't murder someone else. The version that comes from our Lord, though, this golden vision, takes it somewhere beyond that, well beyond not murdering. It takes it to actually loving someone that you're angry with by drawing them in, by drawing into them and seeking reconciliation and wholeness. Instead of just avoiding hurting others, which is a really, frankly, low bar, you're actually aiming to bless others. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you something. I want to make sure that you're appreciating the value of this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll give you a minute. I want you to see this. I want to show you that loving others in this way is to reflect the gospel that we walk in and live in. It's not just a good idea. Uh, This sounds like, you know, since Jesus taught it, this ought to be something we really have a go at. I want to show you this is how the Lord loves us. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'll hopefully be able to sort of interpose, um, interject this point of the golden vision and the essence onto this passage so you can see where we're going here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's telling them, this was your lot before Christ. You, speaking as a bunch of Gentiles at this point, were dead in trespasses and sins. He's basically saying you were enemies of God. Okay? And he's saying it wasn't just you Gentiles. He's saying us, us Jews as well. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, summary of the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, or chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. We were enemies of God. All of us, the whole lot of us, Jews and Gentiles. We were by nature children of wrath. But God. Man, the sweet, sweet two words in our Bible. But God, being rich in mercy. Made, and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What I want you to see there is, first of all, we were enemies of God, verses one through three. But then in verse five, He made us alive together with Christ. Okay? He's spared us eternal death. That's really good, right? Man, we should all really enjoy that. 
He's made us alive together with Christ. We've been spared eternal death. But look at verse 6. He's raised us up with Christ, joining us to him in his resurrection. And here's the shocker of the whole passage. He's seated us with Christ. He seated us with the victor. Not only are we spared of eternal death, we've actually been placed above and beyond, gone beyond to a place where he is placed us in a place of honor. When we're following the essence of the golden vision and not just not doing bad things, not just refraining from being ugly to other people, but actually doing good, actually blessing them, actually drawing near to those you're angry with, actually seeking to be reconciled, we're reflecting the way God has loved us in Christ. He spared us eternal death, but that's not all. He raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with the victor. We were enemies, and not only did he spare us of that issue, us being at enmity with him, he made us his children. Man, you talk about going above and beyond. You talk about going so far beyond Hillel. Man, this teaching from Christ, this essence, beautifully reflects the gospel. It is great news that God spared us the punishment we were due. But he went beyond that to make his enemies his friends. He adopted us and calls us his own. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with him and he seated us with the victor. When we love others this way, we're showing others how God has loved us. We are showing others. We are walking out the love that has been extended us. We are displaying the radical love of God toward us in Christ Jesus. This golden vision positively overtly blesses others. Man, I'll take essence over rules all day long. And I'll take this particular essence from our Lord. Not Hillel's, no thanks. I'll take his version, his beautiful, wholesome, rich command as a guiding summary for how to move with people. It is a gentle guide nudging us into the loving way Every single time. It brings out the whole point of every issue he's dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. The whole point. Followers of Christ are not guided by a bunch of rules like a bunch of wooden soldiers. Externally obeying. Followers of Christ, instead, are to be whole. We're to be congruent, true, inside and out with the gospel-conditioned heart doing more than the law provides, better than the law provides to one another. Moving in the letter and the spirit of the law, we love essence. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. It's radical. It's not the justice of the world. I hope you know that. I hope you realize that. The justice of the world is I'm going to treat you the way you've treated me. I'm going to treat you the way you treated me. You get what you deserve. That's the justice of the world. This kind of justice is an otherworldly justice. This is I'm going to love you in the way that I would want to be loved. 
I'm going to do to you what I would want done to me because of how I've been loved in Christ. It's rich and whole and transforming. This golden vision is a way of being in the world that no list of rules can convey, no matter how exhaustive, no matter how complete. It's a way of moving that reflects God's movement toward us. Crosspoint Fellowship, we have an opportunity to be transforming in our world right now. In a dark season, in a struggling world, we have a way and an opportunity to love others with an otherworldly love, a radical love. Not loving people or not giving people back what they deserve, but loving people the way we would want to be loved because of how we've been loved. Let me give a couple of helps I think there are some things that you can consider, and this was sort of surprised me as I studied on this this week. Love informs this vision. Just a couple of little tips on how to go about this, and I think they're more than tips. I, I hate the thought. Of, I don't. Excuse me for using that word. Preaching is not the place for tips. Okay. Love informs this vision, and it might be a love that surprises you. Okay. This formulaic thing that we considered before treat your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor as yourself i want you to consider this for a moment this may be a whole new thought for you but i want you to give some space to this because it's strong the treatment of your neighbor and love for your neighbor are informed by the treatment that you would expect others to give to you and they're informed by something if i can say it maybe i'll say it as a whisper self-love The, the way you are informed of how to love others is according to something that we'll call self-love. We're going to say it because it's right here in the passage. Expecting to be treated well, decently, and respectfully isn't sinful. And loving yourself is not sinful either. I'm going to say it again because I want you to hear it. A room full of pious Christians. I'm not saying y'all are pious Christians that are sitting there thinking, oh man, I'm... I've got to die to self. I've got to take up my cross. I've you know, got to love, other, love others more than I love myself sort of thing. Those are all true. But I want you to fold in this reality as well and consider that there is room here for self-love. Self-love is the guide for love of others. It informs how to treat others. You saw it right there in the passage. One right after another. I read a, a, a host of them. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 14, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. Self-love is not a sin, people of God. It's a guide. It's a God-given gift to you, a guide of how to love others. Self-love is not sinful. I think it's a wonderful tutor as well and a wonderful guide. It's a front row seat to what you believe and what you can determine as decent treatment, as thoughtful treatment. As you're going over the course of the day and you're filtering the way people are treating you as a boss, as a neighbor, as a workmate, as a spouse, as a family member, you're filtering every, every single thing that you hear and receive as decent, thoughtful considerate, helpful, meaningful, patient, or otherwise. 
You have this internal thing that's going on all day long, this inner voice that moment by moment tells you what's okay treatment and what's not okay treatment. You have this internal voice going on all day long that's telling you what's to be accepted and what's to be rejected. And it's telling you what feels good and what feels yucky. God has blessed you with that internal self-love that's able to determine those things and decipher those things. Those are a gift from the Lord. He's built that into you so you can know how to treat other people. It's a great tutor, always available, right there. I thought about it might be kind of handy, you know, the WWJD bracelets years ago. Remember those? Most of y'all know what those... What would Jesus do? I'm not... I'm not saying don't wear that bracelet, but maybe you have a bracelet on the other wrist or another bracelet right next to it that says WWI do or WWIW. What would I want? As a guide to how to treat others, what would I want? Comes right from this passage. It captures the essence of the law and the prophets. And you could really explore the space here. You know, like the, I was thinking about the whole cowbell thing, you know, that skit about more, explore the space, you know, more cowbell. It was a blue oyster cult or whatever that was, Saturday Night Live skit. If we want to explore this space of self-love, man, you can really discover some cool things here. Okay, first of all, I think there's self-care is part of self-love. You know, for years, you, you get on a plane and the, the, the steward or stewardess, stewardess gets on there and says, you know, if, if the oxygen mask dropped from the ceiling and if you've got a child with you, you put your mask on first and then you put their mask on. And I always thought to myself, I would never do that. They've got to get oxygen first. But I think they might be on to something. They might be on to something. Unless you're being nourished with the oxygen, you can't give anybody else any oxygen. So self-care and self-love is part of loving others. Self-care meaning that you need to be fed and fueled and fitted so that you can love others. Man, I can encourage you. I want to encourage you. There may be some counselors or some help, some pastors you can reach out to to talk through these kinds of things so that you can understand what's actually being communicated here. It's hard to love others if you don't love yourself. I'm thinking back at the times in our marriage when Christy and I struggled the most when I was the ugliest to Christy. And I've been ugly to her at times over our our 25, coming up on 26 years together. The times where I've been the ugliest to Christy have been the times where I felt the worst about myself. Like a self-loathing kind of thing going on. And in those cases for me, it was a lifelong struggle with food and gluttony. And I'm living in this place of unrepentance and I'm taking it out on someone who's trying to love me. I couldn't love her. I wasn't a good reference because I didn't love myself. So maybe that's an encouragement to seek out some help to where you can figure out why you hate yourself so that you might actually be able to love someone else better. It's a great guide for the healthy, that inner voice that shows you day in, day out, moment by moment, how you can consider others and love others and be thoughtful of others and extend gospel kind of love to them. Strong encouragement to explore that space. Self-love informs the golden vision. But that's about all it does. And here's where we're going to land the plane for the morning. Self-love maybe informs the vision, but if we were to stop right there, we would have a good old moral message for you today. And it would be bankrupt. A bankrupt moral message. Self-love informs the vision, but it cannot 
fuel the golden vision. There's only one kind of love that can fuel the golden vision, and that's the love of and the love that comes from the Lord. That's the only kind of love that's transformative to the point where you actually can do the commands that are in front of us in the Sermon on the Mount. Man, we could join the Emperor Severus and put it in gold on our, on our throne room wall. We could put it in our dining room. We could put it in our kitchen. We could put it in our den. We could put it in our notebook. We could put it every place in the world. But the only way we're going to walk it out is through a love of Christ. And our union with Christ by faith means that we actually have the means to walk out this kind of love with others. We actually have the ability to have this radical love for others. I've been saying this almost every single week through the Sermon on the Mount. He is both preacher and herald, but he's also the means in which these things actually happen. If you miss him being the means, if you miss that he's just not a herald, but he's actually the carrot, he is is himself the goal, He, he is himself the treasure, if you miss that, man, this thing's gonna fall flat and it'll be bankrupt. But if you hear that the preacher is bringing these commands and messages before you, this golden vision today, but he's also the goal, he is himself the gold, then you're on to something. Then we're on to something. As the people of God, fueled by faith, moving in a way that's truly radical in our world. Moving in a way that's salty, bright, and aromatic that's going beyond just the minimum of not being ugly to one another but actually moving beyond that to being loving to being considerate to being thoughtful to being gospel people in all of our relationships man what treasure we have in Christ this leads us to the supper we land here every single week and we land here on purpose go ahead and grab your little kid if you've got it our supper is the uh, sort of the the cleanup hitter for every game that we have. It's the home run that with the, the base is loaded. If we miss the supper, then we miss the point. And this morning, the supper is where we land on Christ is our hope to walk out this kind of movement with one another. He is the only way that we can move this way with our spouses, with our brothers and sisters, kids, with our kids' parents, with our kids' comma, parents, okay, with our workmates, with all these different relationships that we have with people. It's through what Christ accomplished for us, and we remember that every single week when we take this supper. He's messenger, yes, but he's means. He accomplished that for us. He accomplished what we could not accomplish. He paid a price that we could not pay, and we celebrate that every single week in the supper. So let's go ahead and open your little bread guy if you have that open. And let's in faith, okay, in faith as we take this, let's enjoy together what he's provided for us. Let's take and eat in faith. Let's take and drink in faith. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for this teaching. We're so thankful for the world that we live in right now that we have an opportunity to be different in Christ's name and to be different through Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that we have the essence 
shared with the, the saints 2,000 years ago that we've been able to enjoy this morning that have fueled and directed and guided the saints for 2,000 years. Lord, this ancient essence we embrace this morning. And Lord, we ask you by faith in Christ to work this in us and through us. And not just for our good, Lord, but well beyond our good for the advancement of the kingdom so that those who don't know you will come to know the love of Christ through how we treat them. The places and circumstances that are dark and difficult will be brightened and lightened by our loving presence there, this radical love that can only come from you. Lord, we are thankful for this beautiful vision and we are burdened together that you will work this out in us. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and let's sing. The first song that we're going to sing is one we've sung a lot before. We're going to slow it down a little bit, though, so that we can just kind of sit in it for a little bit. So let's sing Center by Love together.
pray that you would help us to, um, God, just experience the love that you have for us, and God, just empower us to love others that way too. God, we pray that we honestly just implore you, beg you, that people would see you in us as we love them and as we love ourselves, and as we figure out how what it looks like to move um, in community together and and to love a world that doesn't know you, Lord. Um, God, we just pray that that would just become a part of who we are. Um, God, we just love you. You're going to pray. Amen. Y'all have a seat just for a moment. We were uh, back in Ephesians some time ago, years ago, and had a section in Ephesians called the Household Code. Uh, you might be familiar with it. It's like... Husbands, wives, this is how you treat one another. Parents, children, slaves, uh, masters. It has a, all kind of, and the typical ancient home would have a slave or a worker in it, a master. So that, that's not a weird concept in that context 2,000 years ago. But it was interesting, at the end of the household code, there was a sermon. And it, I feel like in the, I think there's almost 800 sermons that I've preached in the last 17 years. It may be the most important sermon for Ben McGraw in 17 years. Um, was at the end of that household code. Uh, in working through the household code, somebody made a comment. They said, man, we've got everything. We've got everybody's assignments knocked out, man. It was good. It's good treatment. We know what husbands are supposed to do. We know what wives are supposed to do. Kids, parents, fathers. I mean, everybody's addressed in there. Everybody's got our, our, our script. And then we can just go do it, man. I mean, we know how to hold each other accountable and all that, you know. It's like, it's really satisfying. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, we need to go back and regroup, okay? And it was actually that sermon, and I'll have to remember when that was, and maybe I can get that out to you if it's something that you'd like to listen to. It was that particular sermon that over the course of that week, the Lord worked in me this realization that uh, Christy, for example, is wife to me and mother to three after she is a daughter of the high king of heaven. After. She is first and foremost a daughter of the high king of heaven. And we can see each other in these roles like we're all in this play. 
or we can begin to really see each other. Bex, Kate, I mean, Jason, no longer single Jason Brown. But see Jason, like see you as a son of the high king of heaven, not as first and foremost as husband to Jessica, but as a son of the high king of heaven, to try and understand what, what are you, what is your life? I, you're probably totally uncomfortable right now. But like, what's important to you? What hit me in that sermon has hit me a hundred times since the, it's the number of years that I spent interpreting all of you, and especially Christy, reference me. Reference me. How are they interacting with me? How are they, you know, this is my son, this is my wife, these are my fellow church members. Reference me. Just take yourself out of the doggone equation. Forget yourself just long enough to think about the first and foremost relationship there is Michael is a son of the high king of heaven. And I want to know what he's thinking and feeling and experiencing. Man, you're getting somewhere when you start to think that way. With your children? Instead of just thinking of your children, reference how they're obeying or whether they're not doing the things that you expect of them. Try and climb into the fears and anxieties and hopes and joys that they have. They're sons and daughters of the high king of heaven before they're your son or daughter. Man, you're getting somewhere when you begin to think about Jake. Jake, think of Jake. What's, what's going on in Jake? A son of the high king of heaven. Not reference me, but reference his father. Man, you're onto something there. When you begin to think about others that way, and you begin to follow that inner guide that would tell you, well, how would I want to be loved right now? How would I want to be treated right now? You're onto something. You're onto something radical, transformative. We're talking about workplaces that could be transformed, homes that could be transformed. Relationships transformed. How would I want to be treated if I was in his or her skin right now? Forget me for a minute. How can I minister to them in a way that I know that they would feel loved? Not how I'm going to treat them, what I think they deserve. But how can I love them? Man, that, you're on to something there. I was hesitant to share that whole self-love part, to be really honest with you, because I know that could be a mess. I don't think we really struggle with that, but although I think some of us do. Some of y'all, the notion of self-loathing might be so foreign. You might be like, man, I totally love myself. I don't know what you're talking about. I couldn't be better. But I struggle with that self-loathing thing. And when I'm down on myself, I treat people bad. And I think there's something too. Trying to figure out, Lord, why am I so down on myself? You apparently loved me enough to make me your son. Not because of any merit in me, because you set your love on me. So how can I work out that stuff that's in front of that good, informing guide of self-love so that I can love others? Man, I, I might have some Christian counselors have some words with me after this. I don't know, but I'm just speaking for me. Man, I'm telling you, that has got in the way of my love for others for a long time, off and on. 
And I think those seasons where I'm not walking in sin and not walking in rebellion, I'm walking with the Lord, and I can really, really, hopefully love others in a way that is meaningful. I hope this helped you all this morning. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope it might maybe gives you something to think on. I bet you'll have some, some conversations, hopefully over lunch or over the course of the day or maybe between husband and wife. How can we love our children the way we would have wanted to be loved? How can we treat our children the way we'd have wanted to be treated? Are there some ways that we may not be treating them the way that we would have been blessed at that age? You have the goods for it. You have the ability to walk that out. Man, what a, what a space we can explore together. It's pretty awesome. Uh, let me give you a couple quick announcements. I'm going to be sending out an Advent reading plan this week. Advent starts the 29th of this month, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. It's going to be five weeks long. Um, it will finish the Sunday after Christmas. Um, we'll be in the book of Micah. And I have a reading plan for you as families to read over the course of the month. So I'll send that out sometime this week. Uh, also, on that particular Sunday, barring some, uh, something that we can't see at this point, we're planning on Kids Point Ministry resuming for pre-K and younger on the 29th of November for pre-K and younger. So uh, if you're hearing that online, you're like, ooh, finally, okay, well, that's, that's something to put on your calendar. If you're like, okay, I've got some space to, to move in that. Y'all plan on that. Kids Point starting 29th of November. Youth parents have a meeting today at 3 p.m. in here, in here, and then there's a life group shepherd meeting at 4 in here. We'll have you out in an hour, and if some of you are online with us this morning, you're like, man, and you're stuck there for some, not online, stuck in, uh, at your, in your home, and you can't be up here in person, we'll have a Zoom, um, I'll send out a Zoom address this afternoon so that you can join us. That's for life group shepherds. Uh, we have some of our life group shepherds and, and folks like that that are out with new babies. We've got babies everywhere, everywhere, <laughs> in multiples. It's crazy. <laughs> they're outrunning us. They're outnumbering us. That's pretty sweet, though. We can celebrate new life with uh, all the little ones that are with us this morning, that are uh, parents that are home with them. And we, we need to continue to pray for folks who are sick and for numbers that are all over the map right now. Uh, we pray that God will... Uh, Keep us safe and keep us uh, healthy and marching. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss us with a benediction. Benediction this morning is again, this last couple, last few weeks we've been in the same spot. I'd like for this to become so familiar to us that we can almost recite it. Benediction from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week. God bless y'all.